Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, the host of the iFormerX podcast, and no doubt, knowing the latest information about the treatment of diabetes or the latest hypertension guidelines or how and when to add a lipid-lowering therapy is critically important. And many of the commentaries and podcasts we produce for iFormerX are related to these important topics. But just as importantly, we want to introduce our members to new ideas and help them develop new skills that they can use that can help patients and their colleagues use medications wisely and adopt behaviors that improve their health. It's pretty clear that we don't always do a great job of communicating with our patients, and many of our patients are unsure what they should do when they get home. And sometimes our professional colleagues miss the key points we're trying to convey during our educational programs. So that's why a recently published review article about the use of infographics caught my eye. The article was written by Brooke and Ashley Barlow with co-author Andrew Webb and appeared in the February issue of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, a themed issue entirely dedicated to papers on clinical pharmacy education and training. Brooke and Ashley wrote a commentary for iFormerX entitled, The Top 10 Things Every Clinician Should Know About Infographics. And if you're active on Twitter, you, you probably already know the Barlow sisters by their Twitter handle, the A and B of Pharmacy. Dr. Ashley Barlow is currently, at least at the time when we recorded this podcast, a PGY2 oncology pharmacy practice resident at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Brooke Barlow is a PGY2 critical care pharmacy resident at the University of Kentucky Albert B. Chandler Medical Center in Lexington. While I'm disappointed that neither Ashley nor Brooke chose ambulatory care as their career path, I'm confident these two young ladies will become leaders in our profession in the years to come. So Ashley and Brooke, it's fantastic to welcome you both to the iFormerX podcast today. Thank you so much for the kind introduction, Stuart. It's quite the privilege to be able to speak to your listeners on the podcast today about our favorite topic, infographics. Yes, thank you so much for having us. So before we talk about infographics, why they are so useful and the best practices when creating them, inquiring minds want to know, Ashley and Brooke, I know you're twins, but who is older? This is a great question. My mom was very clever here in putting us in near alphabetical order. So Ashley was born first, and then me being B, I was born second. But interesting enough, Stuart, we're actually twins of triplets. So while Ashley and I are identical sisters, we have a third sister. She is fraternal, and her name is Danielle. My mom skipped a letter, you know, it, it could have been ABC, <laughs> kind of following along the alphabetical order there. But at the time, we actually had a dog and her name was Harley. They wanted to call my sister Carly. But instead of having them confuse her name with the dog, they decided to skip a letter. So we're ABD, but my mom reorganizes that and says BAD sometimes. So I said, Mom, we're not that bad. We're actually pretty good kids. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's great. We have a great dynamic and it's a it's really interesting to be triplets, but uh, Ashley and I have a lot of fun in our profession together, for sure. Excellent. Yeah, that's such a great story. 
Well, Ashley, as I mentioned during the introduction, the two of you and co-author Andrew Webb wrote a nice review article on the topic entitled Maximizing the Visual Translation of Medication Information, a Narrative Review on the Role of Infographics in Clinical Pharmacy Practice, Education, and Research, which appeared in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. I'm wondering how the two of you became interested in this form of communication. This is a great question. I love taking a time machine back to pharmacy school and thinking about what got me into making infographics. And I'll tell you from the start of my schooling days, we've always been creative learners, Brooke and I. Since pharmacy school, the best way of teaching ourselves difficult information was by picking up a piece of chalk, going down to our chalkboard down in our basement and drawing things out. In addition, we were always big fans and continue to be of memory tips or just fun and creative ways of remembering difficult information. Well, what better way to pursue our love for learning and creativity than to merge the two and make infographics? We started off by designing our topic discussions during appies in a way that placed extra emphasis on pictures or graphics rather than words. And these weren't in particular infographics. We would just use Microsoft Word, say, to design our topic discussions a little bit differently. So once this became a regular habit, we looked into more design opportunities and came across various infographic platforms to utilize. Now, this hasn't been a smooth sailing road of creating these infographics. We've gone through many ups and downs to really hone in on this skill and learn how to do it our best. One of the first infographics we made was about vancomycin-induced nephrotoxicity, which is quite a beast of a topic for all of the pharmacy learners out there. We're all familiar with it. When we created this in-depth visual review on side effects, risk factors, and mechanism of toxicity, it was a really beautiful graphic, but it was about seven to eight pages long, loaded with very useful but detailed information. From here on, we learned the best way to separate topics and hone in on the discussion on a particular piece of information to maintain the integrity and appeal of the graphic. In addition, it took us quite some time to get acclimated to the different design methods and embrace white space that is really important to avoid confusion, clutter, and enhance comprehension. So after all the positive engagement we've received regarding our infographic endeavors, whether it's through social media or just using them throughout our residency years, the time and effort spent developing them and learning from our mistakes has been well worth it. So Brooke, in the review article, you mentioned the variety of ways that infographics can be used to communicate information. They can be used to communicate to patients about behavior change. They could be used to communicate to students about the latest clinical practice guidelines, or they could be used to communicate to clinicians the key points from a research report. Can you explain why presenting information in a visually appealing way and following best practices when creating infographics is so important? Absolutely. A lot of people might ask us, why exactly do you create infographics? What is their benefit if they do take so much time to create? And it's estimated that in the population, 65% of us are actually considered to be visual learners, where the pictorial representation of information helps us to facilitate a deeper understanding of the content delivered. And I can surely attest to the fact that the human memory is more adept to actually processing a lot of this visual information. And some of the literature in creating our review article for JACCP, we found that we are able to retain up to 6.5 times more of the information when it's presented as a visual concept rather than text alone. If you think about a picture and trying to explain medication regimens, it might be more efficient for you to do so via a visual graphic rather than just providing them a text or a medication guide per se. 
So Ashley, let's let's talk about some of those best practices in your iFormRx commentary and in the review article that you wrote for JACCP. You list some of the key principles of the infographic design. Even if I'm not interested in or talented enough to create my own infographics, what should I be looking for? This is a great question, Stuart. I do think that if you're going to develop an infographic for the very first time, there's two things that will really help. First and foremost is allotting yourself some creativity time. It can take a long time, especially when getting started, to think about how to design your graphic, what you're going to include, how you're going to express to the specific audience that you've targeted. So in order to do this both effectively and efficiently, it's important to allow yourself some uninterrupted work time so that you can let your creativity flow. The next thing I just wanted to emphasize is that don't be afraid to fail. I've learned so many times from my mistakes in making infographics. I finish it. I look back at it. I'm like, it's not really as an effective learning tool as I was looking to portray. Let me get someone else's input on this design and make it an even better piece in the end. So those are just two things. Keep your stamina high and your product will really shine in the end. So in terms of other things that we think are really important, they really do take a stepwise process in order to create the best infographic for your audience. So we like to think of it as a, as a timeline. So first, we start with our preparation phase and creating the infographic. We're in the preparation phase, you should be able to identify a focus topic. As Ashley discussed, there are so many great topics out there that you could create an infographic on, but what's the key focus that you want your infographic to help to describe? So your topic should be focused and something that can be digestible. So identifying your key focus topic is the first step in the preparation phase. And then as we discussed previously, also identifying your audience. Are you trying to teach children or adults, providers, residents, students? Identifying your audience can not only help you further focus down on your topic, but can also help you in creating your infographic and its display. Other things in this preparation phase include creating an outline of the key points before jumping into the design. And this is similar to any project. You have to make those objectives first. And when creating an infographic, there's something someone can look at and review within a minute or less and say, these are the key tips that we want you to take away from our infographic. So creating that outline in advance can be extremely helpful. So that's the preparation phase. Then the next step is creating the infographic. So that can include things like finding the best platform that suits you, employing the utilization of visual aids over text, using a complementary color scheme, and then finding a flow for the graphic, and importantly, adding your references, especially if it includes medical information. And then finally, so you've prepared, you've designed your product, and then we go into the review phase where you can identify a peer reviewer that's a content expert in the field to help you review the graphic and design, as well as its content. So overall, those are some of just the key best practices and why it can be really important to create infographics for different forms of education. In addition, Brooke did mention a couple different platforms that can be used to develop infographics. And I think getting started out, there are preset infographic designs that I would highly encourage those listening and getting started for the first time to use because it's an already set platform. Then you can just plug and chug and learn how to express the information, add in some of your own icons or pictures or create something, but you already have a basis and a design that can help facilitate and lessen the duration of time you spend. And as you go further on in developing them, it'll become easier to start from a blank sheet rather than from a preset design format. 
The other thing I did want to mention is that when evaluating an infographic, and especially if you're going to make your own, it is of vital importance to make sure that you reference the information that you'll be discussing, whether it's going to go to patients, whether it's being discussed at an educational event, or it's just being used as a complement to a PowerPoint or journal club. Having a summary or reference tab at the bottom of your infographic is really important because it enhances the credibility of the information provided. Especially me when I'm evaluating other people's infographics or looking at something that I want to learn from, I can use that reference and learn further about the information that was provided. So one other thing I would like to add to the discussion is employing the use of different colors. So like I I had mentioned previously, color schemes can be really powerful. And so if you think about trying to demonstrate like medication related topic, I think about an an example such as the beers criteria, right? What medications to use, maybe consider with caution or things to avoid in the elderly. A really helpful way to demonstrate that in an infographic would be like a stoplight, right? Using colors like red, yellow, and green. That type of demonstration right there can provide a great example of how to employ the use of colors and and different types of objects and display the information of things to use with caution, things that are okay to use, and then things to avoid. So that's how Ashley and I really like to help create our infographics, like thinking about what sort of concept or object that we maybe see every day could help to tie into helping to illustrate some of these, these concepts so that it's understandable, readily readable to the audience. In addition, all infographics, in order to be the most effective, should have a clear summary of the key points that they want you to take away. And so there are many examples on our own Twitter of infographics. And one of the ones I find most beneficial for this discussion today is an infographic on how to design infographics. It summarizes a lot of what to be looking for when you're evaluating someone else's infographic. So I highly recommend the listeners to this podcast go take a look at that infographic and I'll be sure to share it with Stuart on the summary notes of this podcast episode as well. So Brooke, lastly, I wanted to talk about the use of infographics to disseminate research findings. Unfortunately, most research reports, including landmark clinical trials that have profound implications for practice, don't lead to behavior change very quickly. And while nearly every research paper is preceded by a written abstract that concisely conveys what was done and the results of the study, they aren't very good at prompting action, and they very rarely are memorable. There has been a a strong interest in many journals to create visual abstracts. Do you see visual abstracts becoming the norm in the next few years? And if so, how can I learn to design my own visual abstracts? Or do I need to hire someone else like Ashley and Brooke Barlow to help get me started? This is a great question. And as a visual abstract editor for Society of Critical Care Medicine myself, I can speak from experience and say that designing infographics to illustrate literature and research findings is truly the wave of the future. Visual abstracts are being designed by high-impact journals like New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, and Critical Care Medicine. And they've become very powerful tools to expand the readership of these journals, but also to help disseminate some research that has been, like you said, practice changing at the bedside. And we want to get this literature out to the clinicians. So they put these out onto social media platforms such as Twitter. And that helps expand the audience, the readership of these articles, and helps, again, get some of this information to the clinicians at the bedside. So I do feel like for different journals, hopefully pharmacy journals continue to integrate different visual abstracts into their 
latest journal publications and disseminating them on social media because they really can make a huge impact. But one thing I want to highlight, just like any abstract, even with the written abstracts, they're not used to replace the readings, but they can be a great augmenter or supplement for the education provided in the article. As I always put my the visual abstracts I create out on Twitter or you know on Instagram, other social media platforms, I'll always put a link to the full reading because you want to engage them in this material. You always want them to continue to read into the full, the full article itself. I highly recommend people who have their own research that they're publishing Always inquire to the journal if they are willing to accept a visual abstract as a part of the manuscript, because that could be something that they could employ on their social media platform as well. Well, Brooke and Ashley, I'm over the moon that you were both able to join me today to discuss this important topic. I think we overestimate the importance of our written communications with patients and professional colleagues and should be turning to visual information more often. To get our key messages across, we really need visually appealing educational pieces that help translate complex concepts, making them digestible and memorable. Whether you plan to produce something on your own or perhaps acquire infographics from someone else, it's important to understand the basic concepts of infographic design. How do you use infographics in your practice? Do you use them with students and other learners? Remember, only iFormRx members can leave comments and access the interactive features on the site. If you are a health professional, you can become a member of iFormRx. It's free, so sign up today. And by the way, if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, take a look at the American Pharmacists Association's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program. iFormRx has partnered with APHA to make select content available for recertification and continuing education credit. Just click on the link at the bottom of the written commentary posted on the iFormRx website to learn more. And this week, I want to acknowledge Daniel Longior, Eric Wright, Michael Kaczmarczki, and Katura Weaver, and two dozen other pharmacists who work at Geisinger Health who are members of iFormRx. If you are not aware of all the great things going on at Geisinger, I encourage you to check out the research that's emerging from their Center for Pharmacy Innovation and Outcomes. And if you are a student or a recent graduate, check out their residency training program. And a big thank you to all of the frontline pharmacists at Geisinger who are making drug therapy more accessible, more affordable, safer, and more effective for patients every day. I'm glad that iFormRx has been part of your professional development, so thank you. If you like this podcast and the work that we're doing, be sure to rate us and post a comment. It really helps us reach our audience. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormRx, signing off. <laughs>